All right, so now I'm going to hand over to Ruth Hodge, and let's give Ruth a big welcome as she comes to share with us. As I said, it's been three years since uh, you guys were here, and uh, the world has shifted and changed a little bit. And so um, Kent is, is preaching at Macquarie Life this morning, and so uh, we just appreciate that you... You, you sort of come back home. Would you, where do you call home now? Is is home Australia or is, is home Nigeria? Uh, bit of both. Bit of both. So um, when you come home, it's typically busier because you're just travelling all over the yeah. country. Yeah. And so I spoke to you on Tuesday, and you were stuck by floods and road closures trying to get to Adelaide. And, yeah. and so uh, we're glad you could make it back. And so we're looking forward to just here. Yeah, I remember we had so much great feedback three years ago when we. When you, when you share a little bit of that set them, uh, but also to encourage us by God's words. So, thank you. Thanks very much, Mark. It's great to be here again. Nice to be back in Australia. And to see everything so green. Yeah. I'm from the west of the state where Fred and Margaret Cleverton come from. They're from my hometown. Yay. And uh, it's green. And the bottle brushes are more red than I've ever seen them. Gorgeous. Well, thank you for your welcome, fellow missionaries. We're all missionaries. Did you know that? Each one of us is here today in church because someone went to our ancestors and told them about Jesus. Um, Kent's Irish by heritage. So he tells the whole story of St. Patrick washing up on the shore of Ireland and says, if not for St. Patrick, where would Ireland be today? And we're all in the same boat. So I'm a missionary, sure, but so are you. And more today than ever. We come back to Australia and the world's changed. And I'm sorry, but it's not for the better. We discover Australia is bound by fear, uh, bound by regulations that we never used to have, and it's hard to see the presence of God in our culture again. It's being obscured. So that makes you a missionary. Every day of your life, when you go to work, you go to the shops, there's someone who needs your smile. We've had our faces covered. Or you've had your faces covered. We haven't. But you've had your faces covered for the last few years. And so nobody even saw your smile. What a tragedy because they need it. Your neighbours need you. They don't know it, but they need it. They're living in a darkness. And guess what? You are the light of the world. It's not people like me. It's all of us together. We're one community. And so we have this commission to share the gospel with words, if necessary but first of all with our lives. So I'm going to show you a whole lot of pictures today and just go through the story. Many of your faces I recognize and some I don't know you at all, but that's okay. My husband and I went to Nigeria 36 and a half years ago. It's a long time ago before some of you, many of you were even born. But uh, God honored us because we got to work with an amazing Nigerian man of God. Some of you older ones will know about him. His name was Benson Idahosa. 
and we worked in his ministry for 20 years, uh, training pastors and missionaries for the unreached areas of Nigeria. I know some of you don't know where Nigeria is. Africa, not East Africa, but West Africa, just under the Sahara. And Nigeria has a mixed Muslim and Christian population, so we're really on the front line of reaching the Islamic nations. If you know about missions, the 1040 window, that's where we are. <coughs> Outreaching to the Islamic populations. In Australia, we just think of Muslims as terrorists, but it's not really like that at all. That's just uh, the media presentation to put a bit more fear in us so we'll be a bit more worried about how we live our lives. Forgetting that we have the God of creation on our side, so it doesn't matter what the enemy does. God's bigger yeah. and better in every possible way. So can we have the first picture, please? I'm not very techno-friendly, so I'm, just, I'm not clicking. I'm just saying, next picture, please. Right, I'm just showing you a picture of a miracle. That's Kent at the back in the main mosque of Bukuru, which is in just south. It's obviously a Muslim community. Uh, in 2009, if Kent had walked into that mosque, he would have been killed instantly, just because obviously he's not a Muslim from the way he's dressed, from the way he acts. But this is actually a wedding. This happened in September. Sorry, there's no women at the weddings. In African culture or Nigerian culture, I don't, Islam is not one big ubiquitous religion. It's very different in different places. In Nigeria, Muslim women do not go to their own wedding. It's a contract between the men of the family. The girl who is getting married here is actually a girl from a Muslim family who's come to Christ through learn through reading the book of John, the Gospel of John. But she was being married, and her family are Muslim, so she was. The contract happened in the main mosque, and there's Kent sitting with the friends and relatives in this exchange of an agreement about the marriage of their daughter. You know, in 2009, uh, this whole area was an explosion of violence. Thousands were killed, hundreds of homes were burnt. Muslims burnt Christian homes, but I'll tell you the bad news. Christians burnt Muslim homes, and about the same number of each were killed. You don't hear that in some of the literature, but that's the fact. We know because we live there. <laughs> And um, at that time, we were really challenged uh, by the teaching of Jesus. And I want us to look at some today. Let's just open to Matthew 5, please. The words of Jesus are unlike the words of anyone else. He quoted from the Old Testament, but he made it so clear, so abundantly clear. Not just by what he said, but by what he did. Matthew 5 begins with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at that. This is, you've probably heard it, this is the upside-down kingdom of God. You know, we think that when we do evangelism, we look for the people in our same socio-economic group that we can relate to. People who will be good Christians. <clears throat> when Jesus went looking for people in his kingdom, his first sermon recorded is in Luke 4. Jesus quoted from Isaiah that he's come to call the rich, the famous, not the blind, the lame, the deaf, the weak, the helpless. That's who God calls us to. People who think that they're somebody, they're not interested. But the ones who have a need are calling out for God. And they're waiting for you. You don't meet them sitting in church. You meet them in your everyday life. God's called you to reach those people. How? Very easy. How are you? If you're my age, say, oh, why don't we go and have a cup of tea? If you're youth age, I don't know what you do here anymore. I'm out of touch. I humbly confess it because I don't live here. But you reach those people. Why? Because that's our commission. That's what we're all called to do, every one of us. This uh, is, this, what's written up the top there is actually from Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray, for those who persecute you. Well, this is what happened in our context. Muslims were killing Christians. Christians had had enough of this. And so they defended themselves and then did a bit more. We were, well, I wasn't there at the time, but Kent was in the Bible school and we heard a rumor that a truckload of Muslims were coming to kill everyone in our Bible school. And he said, what do we do about it? Ken said he realized that he couldn't pick up the phone and call any Muslim to see if this was true or just one of those rumors. And he realized, we've got to do something about this. Not only am I not loving my enemies, I don't even know them. So, various things happen, but within a short time of this, Ken invited all the elders of our Muslim community, dressed in these various interesting clothes, imams, malams, sheikhs, came to meet Ken in his office and he said, I'm a, I called you here to apologize to you. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. And we don't even know your names. When you have a wedding, we don't say congratulations. When you have a baby, we don't say, isn't that wonderful? When one of your, when somebody dies, we don't say, sorry, we don't know you. And Jesus said, love your enemies. And we haven't done it. 
Let's change the way we act. We set up two things. First one we set up was called healing justice. You know, we all have a hunger for justice. The trouble is, the kind of justice that we want is not the kind of justice that Jesus gave to us. So we set up something called healing justice. Now this was a time when Boko Haram was uh, targeting the city where we work, which is Jos. Now Jos is a Christian enclave in a Muslim area. It's the, only, it's the capital city of the only state in the north of Nigeria which is not ruled by Sharia law. So uh, a lot of Christians run to it when they face persecution. So uh, Boko Haram, if you don't know who Boko Haram is, think back 2014 and the kidnapping of all those girls, school girls. That hit the headlines, but that's this much of what happened. It's still going on. It should have finished by 2015. But these terrorists are fed, and I won't even go into who feeds them with money for weapons and guns, because that would be called a conspiracy theory. Just because we happen to know it by being there on the ground, that doesn't matter, <laughs> does it? Still a conspiracy theory. Bukharam was targeting jobs. So every Sunday, there were bombs in churches. You couldn't drive to church, you had to walk the last half a kilometer because cars labeled with uh, explosives would drive into a church like this and pull. That would be quite a few casualties. When Bukharam first started attacking jobs, there would be a bombing in a church or in a market or on a street corner. And the next thing that would happen was the Christians would say, that the Muslims did this to us, let's get them. And off they would go. Muslims would die. Then the Muslims wouldn't be too happy about this attack that they had nothing to do with. And they would retaliate. And Christians would die. And you can imagine. And of course, this was the terrorist plan. It's always the plan of evil people. Fear and explosion of accusations and rumors. And so we began working with our Muslim neighbors. We began healing justice. That is, we went to the hospitals and found anyone who couldn't pay their bills, who was a victim of a terrorist attack, and we paid their bills, Muslim or Christian. We went to working with our elders, pastors and people like this. Any widow, who couldn't care for her children because her husband had been killed by the terrorists. We would help them. We would pay the children's school fees. No free education, no free health care throughout Africa. It's unimaginable in Australia. NDIS? No. <laughs> Certainly not. So uh, we began to help Muslim and Christian widows. And healing began to flow. Forgiveness. The next thing we did. You see, all of this violence is youth-driven. Imagine all these fine youth. Without education. Without a job. Without hope of a job or an education or a future. 
If someone says, let's go get them, what do you think they'll do? They'll get them. That's exactly what happened. All the violence of Africa is youth-driven. 60% of Nigeria's population is under, six, under 25. So, plenty of youth, plenty of violence. So we said to the Muslim elders, Ken said to the Muslim elders, we, our team, we have an amazing team of Nigerian men and women of God. We said, what we need to do is train our youth together, the Muslim and the Christian youth together, uh, in computer skills and conflict resolution skills. But you can actually sort these things out without war. I think maybe our politicians should do some of these courses. Could be helpful. But uh, that's what we did. We began our first computer center in 2014. And now we have seven of them. Each place where they have gone, Muslim and Christian youth, it's supposed to be half male, half female, half Muslim, half Christian. All sitting together, learning computer skills and peace building and conflict resolution skills. We have seven of them. Every place where they have been established, the environment's changed. Now, seven computer centers isn't a lot in a nation of 250 million people. So it's a bit of a way to go. But we're working at it. Doesn't matter. You start something and see what God does next. So that's a miracle, that photo. To be sitting in the mosque with our Muslim elders celebrating the marriage of a girl who's actually become a Christian. But her father, that one's not her father. I can't see her father in that photo, but just a miracle. So we, uh, can we have the next photo, please? The way I do this is I just tell stories because I love these guys. These people are amazing. That young girl sitting on the bed, you deliberately can't see her face. She doesn't want her face to be seen. But her name is Zainab. And when she was 12 years old, she went to a Sunday school, much like our kids are having today. She was 12. She's a Muslim. She was a Muslim in a Muslim family in Kano State of Nigeria in a village, and she heard the singing, and she thought, oh, that sounds good. And she snuck up, and she ended up entering in the back, and she loved it, all these great songs. And uh, she kept coming back week after week. Eventually, after hearing the stories of Jesus, someone said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And she said, yes. But of course, when her father found out, he beat her severely. She didn't come back for a little while. But then she heard the singing again. It was so good. She couldn't stay away. So she snuck back in. But a neighbor told her father. This time, he locked her in a shed for two weeks. When she came out of the shed, he took her to another village, to an old man, and said, this is your husband. She was 12 years old. She was there for almost two years. She kept running away. She kept being dragged back. Long time. Finally, uh, she ran to a different relative, not her mother, not her father, not her, um, 
this uncle or that uncle. She ran to a different uncle who was a Muslim, but he didn't like what was being done. So he took her to a pastor, and the pastor brought her to us. She was 14. She'd never been to school. She couldn't read or write. This girl now has been to, uh, she hasn't been to school, she's been through our discipleship training course. That's, we have disciples who are new believers from Islamic or pagan background. They go through foundation Bible school. She arrived illiterate. In seven months, she learned to read and write her mother tongue, which is Halva. Seven months. She also learned to sew, because all our students, Bible school, children, or big children, ones over 16, um, and disciples all learned a vocational skill. She worked, learned fashion and design, making clothes. After seven months, she was dragged back to the village because the, um, the Sharia council in her village were um, trying the pastor who brought her to us for murder. They thought she was dead. So she had to go back and say, look, I'm not dead, here I am. So while she was there, obviously the pastor's case was dismissed. She wasn't dead. She hadn't, he hadn't kidnapped her. She was fine. She was alive. But while she was there, she sued for divorce against her husband. When she said why she wanted the divorce, she was shocked because so many people in the, um, the court, and that was just in the mosque, they stood up and said, yes, that man abused this child. The man abused her. She should be granted divorce. So dozens of people stood up and supported her divorce plea. So the Sharia court gave her a divorce. She was a bit shocked. She didn't think that was going to happen. She didn't know what was going to happen. The father immediately stood up and said, okay, I'll have another marriage arranged for her. I have someone else who wants to marry her. And the court said, no, you did that once. You don't have the right to do it twice. She's now, according to our tradition, an adult woman, 14, but because she had been married. And so they said, we don't think you should be married. We don't think you should accept this marriage, Zainab. You should go back to the place where you learned to read and write. And she did. But before she went back, she had to go to one of her uncle's house to say goodbye. And they had arranged to have her raped. So she was raped. She came back, she didn't tell anyone about that part. She came back, but within a couple of months she discovered she was pregnant. And uh, she wanted to kill herself. But we wouldn't let her, of course. She wanted to uh, abort the baby because of the shame of not being married but pregnant. We said, no, no, we'll support you all the way through. And the little girl on this side, I know you can't see that very well, but her name is uh, Kauna, which means we love you. So we gave her that name, and she's, she'll be three in January. She's beautiful. She's our, one of our babies. The baby sitting on um, Zainab's lap is another story. This is Joseph. Joseph is nine months. August 2021, his mother, came to us. She was 15, five months pregnant, but her arms looked like sticks. We're not exactly sure of all the details of the story because they do change a bit. She's 15, she's from a whole background of abuse. But she was married to a Boko Haram fighter and she escaped. 
her, in fact, her husband abandoned her when he was accused. And um, she ended up coming to Christ through a policeman and being brought to us. And that's her baby. We weren't sure that baby was going to survive because of, you know, she was five months pregnant and she wasn't very big. You know, she should have been a lot bigger in the belly than she was. But the baby is absolutely fine. He's, all the milestones are reached. He's doing great. And she's supporting Mariel, the mother. Now this is in a building we call Myra's House. And uh, it's for women, young women like this. We've got, I could, you don't want to start me because I've got lots of stories. Can we go to the next one please? This is one of those computer centers I told you about. This one is the most recent one. Um, and you can see the computer stations. This is at the opening, which was April the 16th this year. And uh, that's the committee inspecting the computer center. Okay? Okay. Yeah, so it, these things are radically changing. This was April, right after April was Ramadan, which is the Islamic month of fasting. And then El Eid, the feast, one of the big feasts. And the Muslim students, after just a month, invited the Christian students to have a feast with them, to celebrate the festival with them. So this is really changing the mindset. Just north, in August 2021, the same month that Mariam arrived with us, exploded into violence. It was retaliatory violence because of violence in another situation a little bit away. And so the Muslim elders begged us to come and open this center and we were able to respond. Can we have the next one, please? I'll just run out of time otherwise. We have uh, almost 400 children in crisis care. These children are orphaned by terrorism. They still have family. It's not an orphanage. They have a widowed mother or an auntie or an uncle or a pastor who cares for them. Some of the pastors we know have 12 children. Three of them might be theirs. The rest of them are kids that they ended up with because no one else would have them. Uh, the little ones at the front, um, well actually this one is a Mara's house child, um, someone who was raped, rape victim's child. And the little ones are all from that section, but the other ones are all from um, our children's crisis kind. But these are the new ones, they've just come. We had a whole lot coming in August, September. And they're not in school yet because they've never been to school, even though some of them are 14. They have to start at the beginning. They can't just go into the class with the 14-year-olds because they wouldn't know anything. So, thank you. Next one. I'll just tell you this story. This is um, uh, Felicia and uh, Solomon. No, that's not the right name. Anyway. They are from victims of a Fulani attack. Their mother and their, one of their sisters was killed in a Fulani attack. This is another source of violence in Nigeria that we actually have courtesy of oh, NATO. <laughs> when NATO destroyed Libya, that created a, a push-on effect that brought extremism and terrorism to Nigeria. And uh, these two both arrived with bullet wounds. Felicia has a bullet wound through her hand and uh, Solomon's uh, collarbone and scapula were broken in uh, 
the attack that killed his mother and sister. But these guys had never been to school either. Now they're learning, they're eating three times a day. And you know we don't have any discipline problems? Isn't that amazing? These kids are happy just to eat, to be able to go to school. Nigeria has 18.5 million children not in school. 18.5 million children not in primary school. That's not considering the ones who can't go to secondary school. People say, how long do we have to keep supporting Africa? Isn't it just corrupt governments? Well, I'm sorry, Nigeria was a British colony, remember that? They learned corruption from the best, the real experts. And so they, they know something about it, but it's a big, international, complicated situation. What we do for our people, our friends, is that we teach them how to read and write. We teach them Bible foundations. We teach them conflict resolution and peace building skills. And we teach them vocational skills. Carpentry, welding, fashion design, catering, tiling, mobile phone repair, electrical wiring, hairdressing, the list goes on. There's 14 skills. Because once you give people a skill and basic business skills, they can make income. And that's what everybody wants. The dignity, not of a handout, but of a hand up. That's what we should be doing here. But our government has other ideas. God is so good. When you help people, they don't become dependents. They become agents of change, transformers in their own right. Next one, please. Okay, this is some of the ones that have been to school. We took this photo uh, actually the day we left Nigeria, the 14th of, we left our site, 14th of October. This lady is from Netherlands. She was visiting us, so we quickly grabbed some photos. And uh, she's from Voice of the Martyrs in Netherlands. And Voice of the Martyrs helps us, which is great, a bit. <laughs> We've got a lot of uh, people that we care for. Thanks. Next one, please. This is part of our site. We, this building at the front is a four apartment building. We live in one of the apartment on the ground floor. Uh, next, there's uh, classrooms and vocational skills center, Bible school. You can't really see it, but over here is Mara's house. Beyond that is the chapel and the children's school. Sorry, I'm really bad at doing these photos and the photos the drone shots quite wide. Right in the back corner is our hospital. We have a 50-bed hospital there, treating those who can't afford medical treatment elsewhere because of terrorism. Thanks, next one. This is how we cook. <laughs> but I'll show you the next one, please. You'll see a bit more about it. This is how we cook. <laughs> 2,400 meals every day. Breakfast, dinner, and tea for 1,400 residents. We have 1,500 in our Bible school, about 1,400 reside on us. I think we've got 39 day students, but the rest of them are part-time. So we cook for a lot of people, but it's all good food, nutritious, locally grown, local dishes. People don't like our food anyway, so that works well. Next one, please. <coughs> just part of our hospital, one of the wards. Those people have probably mostly got malaria. Malaria is endemic. Next one, please. 
Okay, this is the last one on my, my slide. You'd be glad to know. Uh, this is one of our missionaries. We have, uh, we support over 200, uh, sorry, 100 mission stations. And each station has at least two missionaries. These are frontline missions. Now, I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about missionaries, Nigerian, uh, Niger, uh, Chad, Cameroon, reaching the gospel, reaching the unreached with the gospel. And these guys go and visit our mission stations. They're not just ours, they're from multiple denominations, but we sometimes support many of them. Look, we're all missionaries. You have a task to do. If you don't know what it is, then you better ask God. Because you've got neighbours who don't know. You've got school chums. You've got work fellows who are so without hope, so desperate for some kind of hope. And we have the hope. It's our duty, our gift, our honour to share that hope with other people. This woman, she's a mother of three, but she's going in an ox cart to reach one of these remote stations. If you want to know more, we have a little documentary. It's 18 minutes long, and if you want to write your name in this little book, I'll leave it there. Please write in primary school, printing or capitals, because you wouldn't believe how hard it is to read some of your writing. <laughs> and uh, we often get those addresses wrong. So nice capitals or primary school writing, something like that. So just write your email address and we'll send you the documentary, if you want to get further emails, great, don't do anything else. If you want unsubscribe, unsubscribe easily. We don't. We send out an email every week or two, uh, not usually too long, and there's usually links you can follow if you want to know more. Thank you for your patience, I know I'm running out of time, but I want to encourage you, we're not the missionaries. The ones who are reaching the front line uh, you, you and me, all of us, have a commission to pass on that gospel baton. You decide if you're going to do it, because that's what you were called to do, every one of us. It's not some pastors, it's all of us. This is who we are, this is who God has made us to be. So I want you to stand up, we're going to pray. Lord, you're an amazing God. You're a God who rescues those who are without hope. Father, we live in a world that has given up hope, but you are the God of hope, of light, of salvation. You rescue us from desperate situations. You stand us on our feet and you say, you are the one. I've called you. Lord, you've called so many here. You've called all of us to bear light in your name, to bring hope to this world which is increasingly dark, but which you have chosen for your inheritance. Lord, I ask you to fill us with your spirit so that we will know that you empower us for this task. It's not our task, it's your task. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of life to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.